takes a lot to get on my show Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance You like long walks and you wear clean pants Genius, get onto my show Howdy folks, welcome to Living with a Genius I'm your host Omar Crook On today's show I have film and TV composer Sharon Farber She's one of the two percenters here in town. That is the uh, percentage of female composers we have working in film and television, uh, which I find troubling. I think it's changing, but Sharon is uh, one of the ladies who's leading the way to change that. She's a very successful uh, composer. She also writes concert music. I've been to a few of her concerts. They're just absolutely beautiful. Uh, she's also very thoughtful, very steady with the way she feels about her business and her place in it. And uh, we talk about a lot of things outside of music as well. Um, and I, I really like this conversation. We had a great time. I've known her for a long time. Uh, I run into her socially, and she's just a, a lovely lady. She's always a nice person to, to say hi to. So anyway, I hope you enjoy the interview. I want to thank you for listening. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope you have a great rest of the week. And here is Sharon. Get this fixed up. Well, thanks for coming, Sharon. Of course, of course. Uh, thanks for having me. It's really nice to see you. You too. Um, so I, uh, I don't know if you've listened much to the podcast, but I don't do a whole lot of preparation. I did. I, I usually limit it to Wikipedia <laughs> and IMDb. So I went to IMDb, and. Uh, you go to IMDb Pro at least? No, I don't. Mm. Why is that? Is that something I should do? Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. What do I get with IMDb Pro? Uh, the more current things that are not necessarily written in the i the reg regular IMDb. I yeah, see. So okay. All right. Well, just a... I'll look into it. But I did notice that uh, since um, you're composing for uh, what's the soap opera? <laughs> the so, Young and the Restless. The Young and the Restless. Mm -hmm. It seems like once you got that gig everything started moving very quickly or more quickly for you. Is that true? I mean, I saw that you have nine things in the pipeline right now. Yes, I have a lot of stuff coming up. I mean, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's very exciting. And some of, the, some of them are really, you know, quite big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I, I saw that. Yeah. That's really exciting. Okay, so let's, very exciting. <laughs> let's start from the beginning. Did, okay. you, uh, did you grow up in a musical family? Yes. You did? Um, I mean, yes. To an extent, meaning my grandparents on my mother's side mm -hmm. uh, both played. My grandfather was an amazing man. He played um, guitar, and he was a composer, and he was a painter, and mm -hmm. he was an amazing dancer, and he spoke seven languages. Mm -hmm. And my grandma was playing uh, mandolin. So as a young kid, I remember they were having all these concerts at home. Right. And I would, you know, just be, wow, this is so amazing. And he used to do, uh, like he would take two spoons, yeah. Um, you know, and soup like, spoons. And no, it's it's like, yeah, I don't know how like exactly clock they did together. it. They clack them together. And yeah. It's like it's like tap dancing. It's so Yeah, it's so like cool. we do here in Appalachia and the, uh, the mountain kind of music, that kind of thing. Yeah. They slap it's, the spoons. It's, yes. I don't know what that's called. I, I don't know spoon how it's slapping? called. <laughs> Maybe. Spoon <laughs> do you need, were they concert spoons? <laughs> concert spoons. Maybe we should put that as a, a new instrument on the uh, yeah. orchestral That's right, landscape, or. yes. A concerto for... For concert spoon? Yes. <laughs> and concert saw yeah. and harmonica. And harmonica. <laughs> so uh, it was wonderful. And my uncle, uh, my mother's brother, is a very famous um, songwriter and composer in Israel. I mean, like a huge celebrity. He wrote like 1,500 songs. Wow. That are like the bread and butter of Israeli music. Uh, beautiful. He won the Eurovision in 1979, which is the uh, European contest mm -hmm. uh, of songs mm -hmm. um, with a, a song that has been translated to like 32 languages and stuff like that. That's exciting. Very well-known song. So his, you know, and, and my mom was a ballerina, like a, a professional ballerina. In Israel? Uh, in Israel. Was this in Tel Aviv or in uh, Jerusalem? She or? was in Haifa, which uh -huh. is uh, Haifa, Haifa. It's um, more, more in the north. Yes. Of, of, uh, but, you know, Israel is the size of New Jersey. So yeah. Everything yeah. is relatively, you know, oh, well, we have to go to Haifa and we would make all this preparation and take, you know, food with us. And it's like, you know, an hour drive. It's like <laughs> so, me going to Burbank. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> but it's you know that's how it used to be sure um everything is relative right yeah and when i came here i started driving to four or five I was like you know it takes me an hour sometimes to get anywhere yeah right exactly now were your grandparents born in israel uh no my grandparents on my mom's side the one the ones i was talking about yeah. uh, my grandparent was maurice was uh born in turkey mm. and moved to Greece mm-hmm. when he was a young boy with his parents and mm-hmm. he was a, a friend of my grandmother's sister mm-hmm. and one day he saw my grandmother in you know in a photo album and he said this is the, the woman I'm gonna marry and really he married her and he was such a great piano uh, um, guitar player and we have um, black and white photos of him like singing serenades for her like oh. she's on the balcony yeah, yeah. and he's singing serenades so beautiful uh, and they came to Israel um, before the war yeah and then my grandmother uh, da- uh, dad who I found out a few years ago was a, actually a cantor in a synagogue came to visit the new grandchildren mm-hmm. my my mom and her sister and mm-hmm. um, the brother and they begged him to stay um, in Israel and mm-hmm. he said no my community needs me and he went back to Greece and shortly after the Nazis came and that was the end of the uh, flourishing Jewish community yeah, of course of, of Greece they uh, yeah all, of, of everywhere they all perished in the Holocaust oh my god were sent to Auschwitz and wow and your were your parents were born in Israel? My parents were born in Israel. So what my is that called? There's a isn't there a term in Israel? Because uh, you know when I was in Israel, there there was like this category of people that were like the originals. Well, Sabal, you mean Sabal? Yeah. Yeah, Sab- Sabra. Yeah, that's people who were basically born in Israel. Uh, my both both my my dad on my dad's side, um, his parents came from what was called uh, Belarus, which is on the border of uh, Poland and Russia. Mm-hmm. And they came before the war, and also their families all perished in there. So both on both sides, I guess I could have had a much bigger family than I had. Right, but, right. You know. So they came um, and they settled um, in my parents, uh, my grandparents on my dad's side. Per, uh, they settled in a place called Batiam, which is basically was only the ocean, Mediterranean Ocean, mm-hmm. and sand, and they built a little cottage villa uh, over there mm-hmm. and I have a photo of them of my grandfather sitting on a sitting on a horse mm-hmm. and my grandmother next to him it's amazing and you know of course the city today is, is huge sure. it's, it's a big city and because of course the proximity to, to the ocean it's very you know always when you have water it's yeah, a good yeah, location yeah. yeah do you get back very often I get back I used to get back twice a year and mm-hmm. now we're getting back only once a year because uh, our daughter is now entering uh, first grade so it's a little uh, harder to <laughs> well you know we're going through the school thing with our son right now he's four and a half mm-hmm. and uh, I don't you know I'm not as stressed out as people have I know some some friends of our mutual friends of ours that I mean they just get so crazy about I know it. people um, make such a big deal out of it. I try not to but I have to say we were rejected from a very prestigious private school oh, here I'm in sorry. town and oh. well I don't mean we were rejected they just didn't have you know there are like 250 ap- applicants in like 10 yeah. spots yeah so it's fine but I have to say that that being said I, it kind of ruined my day when I got that oh. email. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't like, expecting it. I'm sorry, but you're not going to do this session. We have, you know, yeah. we've selected someone else. Try being it's... better parents and <laughs> yeah. make sure your son is better at everything. And going to come back next time. <laughs> I'm sure your son will be fine. I think so too. But did you go through that as well? Or, or do you have um, public schools where you live that, that are good? Um, we do, mm-hmm. but we, are, we send our daughter to uh, a private school um, because... Uh, you know, as the Jewish part is important to us. We mm-hmm. both, me and my husband, You're are from Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not practicing, practicing. I'm not like you know religious or anything like that. But I'm I'm Jewish and I love it. And I like candles on Friday. Mm-hmm. And I'm the music director of a big Hollywood temple, mm-hmm. um, which is very interesting because when I was approached. 12 years ago to to take the job as music director, I said no, because I was afraid that people are gonna treat me as uh, just a pianist and I said no no oh, I see. Justice. justice okay and um, beautiful face okay no thank you and but um, you know 
the rabbi is very <laughs> persuasive yeah guy. yeah and he convinced me and said okay i'll try it and it's one of the best things that i've done because not only you know it's once a month uh-huh. and the high holidays which is rosh hashanah and yom kippur so sure. it's not something that is most uh, synagogues are every week mm-hmm. friday and saturday and i couldn't commit with my uh, writing schedule on film and tv i couldn't commit to that mm-hmm. but because it's once a month um it's really cool and the people are wonderful and you know it's like a friday where i can just let go mm-hmm. of the craziness of being a part of this industry right and just do beautiful music and get a little bit more in front of people in front of yes, people social and we we do great stuff and and i work with a great great people like many of your friends mm-hmm. you know from the la master crowd mm-hmm. always work with me mm-hmm. um on the high holidays i have a choir of eight people all your friends sure. unbelievable people yeah. and i have the great the best instrumentalists and like this coming friday we have a gospel choir coming because we're doing a, a shared heritage mm-hmm. service mm-hmm. with um the african american community mm-hmm. which i love doing and with sure. know, gospel is so cool right? yeah yeah where is the temple it's a uh, temple of the arts it's uh, uh, the saban theater on la cienega and um and wilshire oh yeah mm-hmm. and we invite everybody it's uh it's free eight o'clock this coming friday how nice it's really nice it's really nice it's, let's uh, so when you were growing up did you did you start studying music very young were you playing piano when you were a little kid yeah i started yeah. when i was seven okay uh, i started along with my sister who was two years older than me okay and after two years i heard her <laughs> banging you know the uh, uh the piano cover Bing! i don't want to do it anymore <laughs> so oh my God. she was so you became she was a pianist. Done. <laughs> well and then my mom who's a very smart woman said mm-hmm. sharon you know you're already nine years old mm-hmm. uh, your sister doesn't want to play anymore it's your choice mm-hmm. and do you like it i said yeah she said okay do you want to continue i said yeah sure now <laughs> so did you feel that seven was a good time to start and the only reason that i ask is because i had last week Chaim mazar mm-hmm. who was I, th- I guess this is Israeli, Israeli, yeah, because you, t- you had you uh, had uh, Tali. Tali, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to cover every Israeli in town if I can. You should have Ayana. Yeah, Ayana's next, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he started, I think, when he was five, and we, you know, we have a piano downstairs, and so William fiddles on it. Mm-hmm. We we taught him when he was two where middle C was, and he 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 can put little, you know, dyads and triads mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. sometimes, and. Um, I'm wondering if, if, if five is a better age or if seven is a better age. I guess it just depends on the kid, huh? I think it depends on the teacher because I can tell you that I'm teaching my daughter. She's okay, six yeah, yeah. now. Okay. And I started uh, around five and a half. Yeah. And it's uh, extremely hard for the parent to teach the kid. We have You and I have mutual friends who experienced exactly the same thing. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, and, and their son would not do it. It's he's very come hard. Around. He's playing the bass now, but he's, yeah. you know. So I, I told my, and my daughter is extremely musical. Yes. I mean, extremely. She sings with the National Children Choir right now, mm-hmm. chorus right now. Mm-hmm. And she takes, you know, acting lessons. And I mean, she she just loves Active, the stage yeah. and she's she loves singing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said to her, you know, maybe it's not the best thing that I will teach you, mommy will teach you, because, you know, it's, it's a little hard. Yeah. And I don't want to get frustrated, but, yeah. you know, they have very... The attention span at this age is not too big. Yes. So we have to be very, very patient. But what I've noticed is that a way to do it is through positive reinforcement. Oh, you're doing this so nicely. Oh, mm-hmm. let's do it again. It's And that's what my mom did with me. She mm-hmm. never told me, go and play the piano. You have, a, you know, you have to prepare for it. She said, can you show me what you learned today? Because I just love hearing you. And you yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do a thing where I'll sit at the piano and I'll start playing something and I'll say, William, I need your help. Can right. you come? I want to, I'm thinking of a new song mm-hmm. and I, can you help me make a new song? Mm-hmm. And then he'll sit next to me and he'll exactly. start plunking down and I'll say, let's play all the black keys. And then, you know, cause it, it's always going to sound fine. And, exactly. and, and so it's like, oh, okay, I can push any black key and it's going to sound yeah. like we're making something. And when you do it through fun and game and yeah. with a smile, it will work. Yeah. But uh, 
you know, it's hard because we would so want them to know. It could be very frustrating. So we just have to have patience. And, you know, she knows that usually after a piano lesson, we dance together and, you know, she's kind of released. Um, yeah. So that's maybe a, a thing to do. We do that too. We have, uh, we call it dance party. You know, right. William will scream, dance party, dance right. party. Right. You know, we put on the music. And, and they love it. Yeah. They love it. Like now she finds, you know, she loves Moana. She's mm-hmm. addicted to Moana. Yeah, she we have that here too. Yeah. She sings the whole thing, you know. So <clears throat> she would just find, you know, the melody and in the right key. I mean, the on key the piano, that, on the keyboard. Yeah, in the key that she that the original song is, which is uh, e, e major, she sings it and she plays it in E major. You know, just by herself. So I, she's developing perfect pitch, maybe. Yeah, yeah, she's developing. Do you have perfect pitch? No, I have a very, very good relative. Me pitch, too. Yeah, I, I me mean, too. extremely. I'm pretty much right on. Same with me. I, I rely on my in, on my instrument, so yeah. I can feel in my voice generally where you where are. Yeah. I'm usually within a half step, almost always. Yeah, okay. me too. Yeah. yeah. And and I sing. I mean, you so know, that, yeah. not so professionally really... because, you know, although I sang on some of my movies. but uh, You did? Yeah, but you have to choose at one point. You know, you can't do it all. I write music for films and TV and concert music. Yeah. You know, it's just... It's... Which do you prefer? Do you like them all equally? And you're, are you happy? I asked Haim the same question because mm-hmm. Haim does all sorts of work mm-hmm. outside of film and yeah. TV as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a jazz pianist and... Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he said that it's not that he prefers one over the other, but that the the opportunity to create music in so many different ways keeps everything kind of fresh. Do you agree with that? I Is agree that, with that. Yeah. And also I make a distinction between my role in the film and TV industry because, you know, when you score a film or a TV show, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. um, you really are there to give the director's vision to, to take the director's vision right. and bring it to life through music right um and which that's is, a different set of skills and that's than a, creating a concert piece a, for yourself yeah so here you have to be you have to have no ego and basically think yourself as a tool mm-hmm. to help make this very collaborative project come together right whether because, you agree with his vision or not right, right. and and I, i've learned to when when you don't agree with the director or producer whoever pays you basically you have to really um choose your battles mm-hmm. because otherwise it's not going to work and That's some right. scenes that you really feel he might he or she might be going in the wrong direction you want to say something and say listen this is why i would think that maybe we should try a different approach mm-hmm. here but come always from uh, a place of respect because sometimes yeah. it takes an aid instead of criticism yes because yeah. sometimes it can take i worked on a film that took six years to make six years so it's like the director was pregnant for six years mm-hmm. and now someone else have to walk the child mm-hmm. and dress him and feed him and it's very very hard to let go of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we recorded in bulgaria uh, with a Bulgarian symphony, it was it was wonderful. But I had to because his approach at the beginning uh, was very much to take classical pieces mm-hmm. and and you know just have very little original music. Um, but you know, it, especially at one scene, there was one scene that the music was so familiar that it was very hard to concentrate on the dialogue. Hmm. Because your mind is like, oh, I know this. And you're like, especially for a musician, mm-hmm. you just listen to it and it's hard to concentrate. Are you talking about the temp? The temp? That, or, no, or the, 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 the piece product? that he wanted to use. Oh, I see. Um, mm-hmm. But eventually he, he did take the other approach of original mm-hmm. music. Uh, and it, it, one of the things that I'm proud of, you know, in this mm-hmm. film. So you just have to know where you're coming from. And when you do, when you, you're commissioned to write a work or you do something else, it's just mm-hmm. your own it's just your own thing and it's and it's wonderful you know right. you don't have to be limited in your ideas especially when you know okay let's say i'm writing now for a full orchestra or a string quartet you know from the beginning what what you have and what you don't have mm-hmm. in the film industry you know as well but you know with with digital um age right now we can create a huge orchestra with basically yeah here nothing, on my right? imac yeah uh, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so, but when you know that you're writing for live live musicians, I think you're even more conscious mm-hmm. 
on every note and mm-hmm. every sharp on every little you know legato or pizzicato sure. or staccato or bowing or you know you have it's especially yeah especially if you write for a small you know small group like mm-hmm. let's say a screen quartet or, or mm-hmm. a quintet you have to know that every one of the members of the uh, ensemble has to have a certain directions direction and voice and and be exposed and be you know you can the, the bass is not only there to make a bass you know it's just <laughs> right right yeah so it's a different uh and i love i love both you know and as you said as Chaim said uh, it's it's one feeds the other right right um what what happens when you get a when you when you receive a scene tell me how that when you turn on your computer and you start looking at a Mm-hmm. at a at a scene whether it has a temp track or not what do you what are you looking for what do you how does that work um how do you get the idea of of what this film's going to sound like right so first you watch the whole film mm-hmm. of course and sometimes i would read a script way ahead not always oh. mm-hmm. but even if you have a script it could be totally different when you right. come to the final product right because uh, the director has his own vision you know it's it's different mm-hmm So first, um, I watch the whole thing, and then we do a spotting session where we decide what music comes in, what music comes out, what is the kind of music that is needed. And who sits in on that? Is it the director? Usually the director, mm-hmm. yeah. And if there's enough budget, the music editor. Okay. You don't always have that, right. but um, it should, that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we and then I start writing um, some people like working like maybe from the end to the beginning or mm-hmm. maybe scored a huge scene that in the middle more mm-hmm. but I like going in kind in of uh, in order because oh. it feels that it's developing I develop the music with the story mm-hmm. uh, so I start writing mm-hmm. based on you know what I see and what I hear and usually I would write the first theme uh, on the piano. acoustic piano mm-hmm. and then I, I start like developing an orchestra and I do it on the computer now do you But go just, pe- uh, paper and pencil just the, the main beginning? themes I see. Mm-hmm. just the main themes although in concert music I would probably write the whole thing first uh, at the keyboard at the keyboard yeah uh-huh. many times yeah uh-huh. but here it's like you know because you write to picture um, it's like okay so let's say there is a dialogue now between the Two men mm-hmm. when two men talk they have there's a certain range to to the voices to the actual voices right yeah so your voice is way lower than mine right, right? Mm-hmm. so if I score your voice I will make sure that the range of the instrument that I'm using are not interfering with your voice so I will write something that is higher mm-hmm. so let's say you know if I write piano I won't write it in the Um, let's say under an F sharp if I'm an E or something yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. so you, you would write uh, you know maybe I won't go below uh, you know middle C I would sure. go maybe above you know second C or something like sure. that um, so just you have to be very very careful um, is that a technique that you developed or is that a trick that you learned in school that's a good question I think that I, I'm sure it was brought up in school but yeah. it becomes a because second I've never name. heard that before yeah but think about it of course if, no, if, of course. if two men are talking and there's lots of, of things that are being said and the music is exactly in the same range yeah it'll muddy the it will muddy the whole thing hmm. so maybe you can if you want to let's say it's a let's say it's a thriller and you are now in a very suspenseful scene yeah so you can definitely have the lows that are way below your voice and mm-hmm. the highs mm-hmm. you just be very careful in the middle mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah huh um, wow <laughs> you never thought no, about never, it. I really haven't ever thought of that um, I, I do have a question about when you when you said that you like to start from the beginning and let the music develop do you think that that uh, technique of composition or composing film music is has somehow also informed the style of your music I mean do you have a do you mm, have a, do you have a through line to your music you know like Thomas Newman you always know it's Thomas yeah Newman. You, with John Williams you always know it's Tom is yeah. there I think I do I mm-hmm. think I do um, you know for example orchestration wise and this is something that I've learned from Shirley Walker mm-hmm. resting her bless her and rest in peace she was amazing Shirley Walker I don't know if you know who she was and no, unfortunately a lot of people don't know mm-hmm. but Shirley Walker was an a 
unbelievable composer. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked with Danny Elfman. She worked with Hans Zimmer. She, she really was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came to town, I came to town with the internship of the Academy of TV Arts and Sciences, which okay. I highly recommend for young composers who finish school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wonderful internship. Uh, and That's I was, where you came from, Israel? No, I, for after Berkeley. I went to Berkeley. Were you with Haim? No, no, it was after me. Oh, that's so funny. Then, yeah. Now, did you get involved with Berkeley in the same way he did through the Tel Aviv, the satellite and, school? No, you, you're talking about Ramon, <clears throat> Ramon School of Music. No, I, I, okay, I'll give you a little bit, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a quick, yeah. quick tour. Yeah. Uh, I went to a very prestigious high school in Israel, which is a high school for the arts. Mm-hmm. Really, really good school. Mm-hmm. Very hard to get in. Uh, I don't know why they... Accepted me, accepted me, but they did. And uh, after that, I worked as a music director and I was teaching piano for a long time until I felt that I needed to spread my wings. And at the time, there was no internet even. Mm-hmm. So I remember I wrote to all kinds of universities, including Berkeley, including Grove School of Music, which was an LA school, very good school for music here in LA. Okay. And about two weeks after I um, was accepted and paid $250 as a deposit, Mm -hmm. they closed down because of bad management. And people lost all of their their tuition. It was horrible. I was was lucky, only $250. And uh, and I got a letter from Berkeley that they were coming to Israel to do a scholarship tour. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll just try it. And I did. And I got accepted on a scholarship and, and I went to Berkeley and I thought I'm going to just do a year mm-hmm. diploma and go back to Israel. Okay. And after a few days, I just was like in heaven, you know, sure. musical in heaven yeah. in Boston. So I signed up as a, uh, for a bachelor degree mm-hmm. and shortly after I signed up as dual major. So I gradu- graduated with dual major in film music and concert composition. And I was, because I had so much knowledge from Israel, I was mm-hmm. able to do it in six semesters. Um, and and then I got this internship here in LA. Yeah. And it was with Jonathan Wolf, who was scoring Seinfeld at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Alf Clausen, who still scores The Simpsons every yeah. week. Yeah. And that's how I came to LA. Wow. And I thought, okay, I have a year here because, you know, you as an international student, you get a year uh, on, of, your visa. Of, mm-hmm. on your visa mm-hmm. to work. Right. I said, okay, you know, it's a year. Yeah, we'll do mm-hmm. a year and then we'll go back to Israel. Yeah, yeah. 20 years later. Wow. <laughs> so, and uh, at the end of my internship, Jonathan asked me who I wanted to meet in the industry. And I didn't say, you know, one of the big guys. I said, I want to meet Shirley Walker because in Boston, I would go home every day at 3 p.m. to see Batman and Superman mm-hmm. because of the music. I was like, this is an amazing music. I have to find who writes it and yeah. meet this amazing person. It was Shirley. Yeah. And of course, the fact that she was a woman pioneer for yes. all of us women composers was a huge, huge part of it. And, um, and Shirley took me under her wings. She just liked me. And I started as a proofreader for Warner Brothers um, animated TV shows. Mm-hmm. And one day she called me and she said, would you like to orchestrate for you me? You mean a script reader? No, no. Uh, for, for music. For music. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Proofreader for music. Uh-huh, sure. Um, and uh, one day she called me and she said, would you like to orchestrate for me? And I called my mom, my parents. I said, ah, oh, you don't know what just happened. Shirley Walker asked me to orchestrate. So I started orchestrating for her. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was two months in town and I was every week. There at Paramount or Sony, Warner Brothers, yeah. recording with full orchestra. Yeah. And I've learned so much from her. And shortly after, I started writing for the show. But uh, shortly after, Warner mm-hmm. Brothers decided no more live music. Um, they had, you know, 10, 15 years of the cues, the Chile and uh, the other Lolita Ritmanas and Michael McQuistin and Chris Carter and Harvey, rest in peace, Harvey Cohen. Um, they wrote so much music. Mm-hmm. So Warner they Brothers have, have- owned it all. They didn't need more and they didn't want to put the money anymore. That was the beginning of the end of the big soundstage gigs. Yeah. 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 I mean, so many of the famous soundstages have closed. Yeah. You yeah. know, there are only a few left. Only a few left. Uh, let's talk about, about being a woman composer. Oh, um, that's an interesting uh, Yeah, topic. I know that 
I mean, it seems like female composers and female professionals of all types in all fields were kind of kept in the shadows or relegated to shadow writing or, uh, or not getting credit and things like that. First of all, what do you, do you know off, off the top of your head what the ratio of female to male composers is in the film and TV business? 2%. 2%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about that. What, uh, what I know, at least I think I, I think that you're involved with I that. Am, yeah, let's talk I about am, that. I am not that involved with uh, um, the Alliance of Women Composers just because I've been so busy, but mm-hmm. it's, it's an amazing organization mm-hmm. that started by Laura Karpman and Nora. And um, last year, August of last year, we put on uh, a wonderful concert at um, uh, Grand Performances. Mm-hmm. Downtown, downtown, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we had a fifty-piece orchestra, and it was such a beautiful celebration of great music by women. Mm-hmm. We, it was, I think, about twenty of us, and it, it was just so much talent mm-hmm. in one place. I was so honored to be a part of it. Um, it's getting better, mm-hmm. um, but it's still not there. I don't think it's going to be getting better for the next couple of years, unfortunately. Well, um, do, you, do you think? I think that there is more... Maybe here in L.A. where we're maybe, so insulated yeah. from the rest of the country. I think the problem is that a lot of people talk diversity, right. but they don't walk They don't diversity. hire diversity, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I think we live in a, in a place and time that as a woman, we are so much luckier than... 200 years ago when mm-hmm. Femin, Fanny Mendelssohn used to write her brother's compositions and not even be credited for mm-hmm. it. So we have to look. I don't believe in the victim mentality. Um, I don't think it serves anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just um, a gradual process that is starting mm-hmm. and is happening. And, you know, there was just a woman nominated for an Oscar uh, for Jackie, um, and there are women like Wendy Alisa and Laura Karpman and Lolita and uh, my friend Penka Kuneva, who does a lot of video games now. Mm-hmm. There's just really great, great women who are also composers, wonderful composers. Mm-hmm. So we just want to be treated. I don't want to be getting special, special treatment, right. treatment because I'm a woman. Just want to, mm-hmm. if you like my music, I would love to work with you. Mm-hmm. If if not, that's okay too. But don't judge me based on the fact that I'm a woman or not. Right. Um, and just the other, last week I had, uh, you know, talking about um, different things that we do. Um, I believe that music is also a wonderful tool to bridge the gap between cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, last week the Israeli consulate and the Turkish consulate, mm-hmm. uh, we did a, a joint beautiful concert uh, for the renewed relationships between the two countries. So it was uh, Aisha, um, what's her name? Um, Aisha, who's a wonderful, wonderful um, Turkish pianist. Mm-hmm. And Mark Kasper, who's an amazing violinist from the Jewish Symphony Orchestra, the concertmaster. And it was me, and it was, um, we did some concert music. She, she learned my piano ballad in five days. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Amazing from pianist. Her, you mean played it from memory? No, but just, just not from it, memory, got but it just got it. It's an yeah. eight minutes piano ballad, which is very hard to play. And wow. she just, just I did it. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and I also said, okay, but we have to really do something that will show the collaboration between the two countries. So I called my friend Omar Farouk Tekbilek, who is a, a wonderful musician, very well-known, world, world-renowned. He plays every ethnic instrument masterfully. Mm. And if you, if people who listen now don't know his music, go to Omar Farouk Tekbilek. Is he a percussionist or a string He's player? Everything. 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 Wow. He plays he plays all the um ethnic flutes from Ney flute to Zurna to Dumbak and Frame Drum to um Oud and Baglama and I mean he's unbelievable and mm. he um, he's a Muslim, mm-hmm. and his he, his manager is Israeli, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. I think. And he played on a big piece of mine that we'll talk about in a minute. But um, 
I called him and I said, Omar, you're from Turkey. What is the best known Turkish song that people might know? And mm -hmm. he told me, um, and I arranged it for piano, violin, uh, buzduki, which is a, a Middle Eastern uh, kind of, a, I would say, how do you even describe buzduki? It's like oud, but with a more crispy sound, mm -hmm. more metallic sound. Mm -hmm and frame drum that my husband David played. Mm -hmm. And I did this great song and just by chance there was a cantor, a Turkish cantor from Turkey originally, who of course knew the song and he joined us. It was this amazing celebration wow. of friendship of music and people still talk about it. So I get to do all kinds of things and I just had on Sunday the Israeli-American uh, gala, uh, council gala at the Beverly Hilton mm -hmm. where I had you know, wonderful singers mm -hmm. and instrumentalists. And I brought six kids, um, violinists and cellists uh, from the studio of Sasha Kalman. Uh, just wonderful kids, mm -hmm. who, like almost professionals. It was amazing. Yeah. And a kid's choir and Chris Mann. Uh, if you know Chris, he was on The Voice. Unbelievable, mm -hmm. unbelievable uh, singer. And we had this amazing celebration. So I got to, you know, have like 30 people under my... Baton, and we had, of course, a rhythm section and guitar, and the whole thing wow. was it was amazing. So it was fun to get out of my yeah. studio because composing is a very lonely kind of a, you know, profession. It's just you and your piano, your computer, and yeah. How do you deal with that? Because every time I run into you, uh, it's almost always at a social gathering, and you seem very social like you like to be with people. I love I love people yeah does it do, do, you, do you get depressed uh in the middle of a big film job or no you make no sure to get no out? I I I don't get depressed because when you're in the middle of it you don't have time to get depressed and right. it's and it's and I know that it will be over and then you know and I and I love doing it and there's mm -hmm. nothing more like to hear your music coming from big speakers or big yeah. speakers on it yeah it's just a great thing but uh if I have the opportunity um, like, so this week, and I also had, you know, which is interesting, if we go back for a minute to our conversation about women, mm -hmm. um, I was uh, doing something at the Israeli Film Festival luncheon on Thursday with a wonderful singer named Liel Colette. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting next to um, someone who's an executive at FX. Mm -hmm. And we started talking and he said, you don't know how excited I am to sit next to a woman composer. Because I've been in this, you know, uh, job for about a year and a half, mm -hmm. and I want diversity. I want more women mm -hmm. and more African American, and whatever, you know, mm -hmm. more diversity. And I haven't had any chance to work with a woman composer, mm -hmm. so I'm really excited. And we're having a meeting, and you know, it's it just it was nice to see that people are actually excited about that. That's great to hear because mo uh, some of my listeners who are not in this business. I don't think understand how um, how sexist the music business still is. I I work in an opera house, and uh, a male superstar singer can literally get away with grabbing women's breasts really? backstage and and demanding things and treating people terribly. Yeah, they can they can still do it. They can still get away with it. Where in corporate America, you'd be thrown in jail just yeah. right away. And there's some measure of tolerance where uh, talent just outweighs everything and if you can make money on that talent you'll put up with a lot of bad behavior that's not right no and it seems to be you know it seems to be the case uh, you know i had to deal with a lot of not a lot but i've heard my share you know i i was in a in a scoring session on one of my films mm -hmm. with the orchestra. And it was the director, the music editor, the uh, executive producer, um, the conductor, because I wasn't conducting because mm -hmm. it was another country. There were like maybe six or seven men mm -hmm. and myself. Mm -hmm. And we were recording and... and on a sound stage with the orchestra, yeah, the whole, on the uh, orchestra, and, okay. I, and we had a little break, and it was uh, just before it was uh, in the control room, and the director said something very insulting, and I can't even remember what it was. It was years ago, but I remembered that, that I was like, okay, what do I do now? Right. If I make a scene, I'm just an 
hysterical woman. Yeah. If I don't say anything, you're a weak woman. I'm a weak woman, mm-hmm. weak woman, and it will continue. Mm-hmm. So I waited for the break, and I took him aside, and I said, "You chose me to score your film because of what I bring to the picture. Mm-hmm. You love what I do. You love the music that I've written to you." We're in a scoring session where everything sounds unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Why would you say something like that? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, did I offend you? And I said, it's not even about that. It's about the fact that you wouldn't even dare say to a man, if you want me to respect you, mm-hmm. you have to respect me. Mm-hmm. And you cannot talk to me like that, mm-hmm. not between us and not in front of anyone. Mm-hmm. And he apologized and it never happened before. But I had to do, to do something to make this happen. Right. And a few years ago, um, I was up for a film. And the director called me and said, I think you're perfect. Um, I love your music. I love the fact that, you know, it's about a woman who is avenging her fiance's murder. I love your thriller music. You're my pick. Because so, it was a pretty big family, so mm-hmm. I was so excited. And then he hired two producers. And the producer said, no way. Really? We need a man who writes for 25 years old kids. That's what they said. And I told him, you are the director. You hired them. You should be able to make a decision that is good for you and not be put to work with someone who you don't want to work with. Who doesn't with. know anything about music, probably. Yeah. And they wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. And then he called me and said, you know, they say that because I'm a first-time director, I should get out of my own film. I said, you know what? You didn't put your foot down on the other, when, on the other issue when it came to me. If you don't put your foot down right now, you're going to lose They're going to steal this film from you, yeah. Yeah. It was like five years ago, and they're still working on the film, so I don't know, it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, so what could I do? I mean, I can say you're making a mistake, or but that's the way it is. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I feel the same way. And some, I mean, not as a woman, obviously, but, <laughs> you know, there are lots of reasons why you don't get hired also. Of course. So, you know, it, that's the part of this business that I find to be very difficult. Very difficult. I, I think for any gender, I think sometimes you just don't get it. You don't get the job. Yeah, sometimes you and, don't, and, and, and it's I, okay. And you don't know why. Like, sometimes you want to know why. Like, right. You know, but the, sometimes it's okay not to get a job because, you know, it's, it's like, a sign, you know. You know, when one, I really believe in it, when the, one door closes, another one opens up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the harder thing is to say no to a job, right? Mm-hmm. And I had an experience a few years ago where I was um, on a film, and whatever I did wasn't good enough for the director. And I just didn't get it. And she said, no, closer to the temp. So eventually I, I tried something and I copied the, the temp. Yeah. Basically almost note to note. Yeah. And he said, that's perfect. And I said, well, I don't want to get sued. So please take someone else because I will not, wor- I will not copy someone else's work. So right. I quit the film and I was thinking, God, did I make the right thing? Did I make the right thing? You know, and I let it go. But for two days, I was agonizing over it. Yeah. And then the minute I released it, I got three projects on the same day. And this director came back to me a year later and said, um, can we try again? I said, yeah, if you let me do my work. And we sat down and we agreed on all the terms and everything. And then they sent me a contract that was $10,000 less than what we agreed on. So I said, we just sat down and agreed on the terms. Why are the terms different? And they said, well, I thought we could negotiate. And I said, but we already negotiated. Right. And I said, I'm sorry. Please find someone else. Oh, my gosh. And I let it go because it was just bad, bad energy. So sometimes, you know, it, and it wasn't because I was a woman. Yeah, right. It was just because. He was a bad businessman. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, I think we have to remember that when someone else gets the job, especially if it's friends, mm-hmm. we want to, if we want people to be happy for us, mm-hmm. when we get something, we have to be happy for them. I say this all the time. People also, people outside of this business don't realize how 
difficult it is just under the best circumstances to be successful in this business the last thing i need is jealousy is to tell another tenor who is my very voice type that i hope he fails of course not he's he's, he has a hard enough time exactly just Just like you getting getting the job and doing a good job those are two things that are very hard to do very hard to do and And the competition is huge yes between everybody yes it's hard yes so we have to somehow understand that there's space for everybody yeah of course and i i really believe in in whatever you send out you're going to get back if you send out bad energies that that's what you're going to get back i agree i agree and people just you know have so many friends who are so frustrated always because they didn't get that and they didn't get that they have resentment and jealousy resentment Mm and we all sometimes sin with jealousy it's yeah we're not super super we're not yeah. yeah but it's important to realize okay uh i am jealous because of a, B, C, D, you know, mm-hmm. and I, years ago, I decided that there's, there's no point in being jealous. Okay, if someone got a job that I really wanted, I need to find out why they got this job. What did they offer that I didn't offer mm-hmm. and learn from it and mm-hmm. move on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has Now, as a singer, as a, as a session singer, some of the work has dropped off for the last few years because of the, well, I'm frankly, I think it's because of the union, but... Um, that is more of a political discussion. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed uh, a fluctuation in work in the last few years as a composer? Do you use local musicians for those gigs, or do you have to go out of town? Or I know it's not your decision; it's always up to the producer. But what what do you what have you experienced? Um, you know, many times we don't get to record with orchestras, mm-hmm. and today, you know, I did a film. I first I also work in Israel, so I. I I'm pretty much always working mm-hmm. because I have stuff here and I have stuff there and I have the Young and the Restless and I have my concert music. Mm-hmm. I have everything that, you know, it's not easy mm-hmm. and it's not always what I want. You know, it's, of course, we always want more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I make sure that, um, you know, I do my best on every film, if it's small or if it's big. So in regard to work, um, the last I have I have a few films coming up with an orchestra, and I just spoke to the producer. He wanted to record in Atlanta, but I said, um, you know, maybe we can record here. But it's very hard to record here. Yeah. Uh, I did a film, the one that I did in Bulgaria. I called the union. I wanted to do it here, mm-hmm. and I said, um, this is my budget, and this is what I need. And they told me, well, for this budget, you have, you can have one session with 15 musicians, one five. And I said, but I did three sessions with 52. And he said, we can do it for this budget. So I did it for that budget in Bulgaria. Right. What can you do? I needed an orchestra. You know, I really wanted to work here. It was just impossible. So sometimes I would just have a few musicians come over to my studio and just record, you know, a few Mm -hmm. strings or things like that. Uh, Or just, you know, um, use great great samples that I right but I always rather work with um, with locals locals and I always rather work with live musicians I think makes a huge difference so what happens in my opinion is that the union takes care of about seven players who are on on Sony and Warner and Paramount that's right on big hundred million dollar plus and everybody else which which is the majority of the movies that come out are not two hundred million dollar movies that's right and the majority of the work goes to somewhere Cleveland else. and to Bulgaria and to somewhere else, Seattle, places. I agree. That, and they know. have, you know, good musicians and good singers, you know, yeah. I mean, good instrumentalists, sure. I'm sorry. And, you can and get good, the uh, Hollywood sound anywhere. You can now. get the Hollywood sound. And it's, it's not the 50s anymore. So, you know, but I think I'm hoping that they're trying now to get through incentives and tax credits mm-hmm. to get films with Garcetti, made, yeah. With Garcetti yeah. to be more here in California. He seems to be very much behind that. Yeah, so but hopefully this, this will bring some of the work It's the same with vocalists. It's the same with vocalists. You can, you, that's why Hans goes to London. Yeah. That's I mean, They it, have good singers in London. They have good singers in London. <laughs> they have good singers in East Europe. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a different sound, though. For sure. You know, I had a... I had a... You know... Um, I don't know if you know, but I had a piece with the LA Master Choral. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I very much believe in, as I said, music 
as a powerful tool. And when Daniel Pearl was mm -hmm. kidnapped, mm -hmm. um, his father was a friend of mine. Oh my God. Um, Yuda, Judea called me and I was, I was just came to town and um, he was conducting an Israeli, as Israeli choir and I was writing some arrangements for them and he called me and I, one day and said, would you take the choir? Because Daniel was kidnapped. And what do you do? What do you say? Just, just... So I, I wrote a piece of music, a cappella, um, based on a poem, a Hebrew poem that I really loved about three moms who, three mothers who uh, cry for their sons who disappeared or died. Um, and I composed it and recorded it with a few, few singers, friends. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was just starting out here and I thought, how am I going to pay for the session mm -hmm. in a studio? And I said, you know what? This is my gift to Judea. And I recorded on Sunday. On a Saturday, I got my first check from ASCAP. That was exactly the amount of music, uh, of money that I needed for the session. And I said, there is someone over there watching over us. So I started it when he was kidnapped and I finished it after his death. Oh my God. And after I recorded it, I sent it to Judea and Ruth. And Judea called me and said that he listened to it like 13 times, one after the other, and he couldn't stop. And it brought him some comfort. And then my friend Paul Chihara sent, uh, told me to send it to Grant Gershon. Mm -hmm. And Grant called me and said, I want to premiere this. Had you had a relationship with Grant before? No. Just out of the blue you sent Just, it? I sent it, wow. and, I, and Paul Chihara said, write on the envelope referred by Paul, Paul Chihara. So I did, and Grant called me like the next day and said, I want to premiere this. And he did, and it was interesting because it was the opening season concert. Mm -hmm. It was Verdi, Schubert, Britain, and, and me, mm -hmm. which, good what company. am I doing? Good, good company. Well, yeah, what am I doing, you know, you know, among these amazing people? And the first piece was Schubert, which mm -hmm. was a piece by, you know, for choir and orchestra. Mm -hmm. And my piece was... Um, relatively short, about seven, eight minutes. So this after the Schubert, the musicians, all the musicians, instrumentalists and, and singers all stayed uh, on, the, um, on the stage and just, you know, put their instruments down. And uh, the LA Massacre, 120 people singing a cappella in Hebrew. And I could see the instrumentalists, you know, crying. And, it, and when the piece was over, there was this silence for I don't know 30 seconds nobody said a word until they started clapping and and it was like wow I did something that touched people and Judea Pearl was there and 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 a few days later I was invited to a recital of new music and it was uh, it was featuring a trombone player who was having a some kind of a, a piece with a koto, Japanese koto player. Very interesting. Uh, kind of an improvisational thing. Mm -hmm. You know, but there was no no melody, nothing, just improvisation. And, you know, I, I, I write from the heart. And I met the husband of the executive director of the Los Angeles Massacre and I said, you know, I'm listening to this and I feel like maybe my music is too romantic, old or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, Sharon, you touch the hearts of 3,000 people at the Dorothy Chandler before the Disney Hall. Always write from your heart. It doesn't matter what people think. You just write what you feel. Mm -hmm. And since, it, I don't know, it just came in the right time. And since then, I always follow this. You know, That's very um, good advice. I, yeah. I feel the same way about what I do. I mean, even, even something so dumb as this. As his podcast, you know, it's I, not I dumb. well, it's, you're given something beautiful to, to well, to thank people. you, thank you. When I, when I started it, though, you, you can't help but think, what are people going to want to listen to? And so I spent a week thinking about what is my show going to be about, and then I followed the same advice, mm -hmm. which was just to to speak like I normally. This, we're, you and I are literally having a conversation yeah. like we would have at a party. Totally, um, I love it. And some people like it, and some people won't. But this is a big world. And there are enough people who will like this conversation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's fine. But it's the same with everything. And, and, and as an artist, it's the hardest thing to realize 
that not everybody's going to like what we do. That's right. Some people are going to think that you're an amazing singer. I think you have the most beautiful voice ever since I've heard you the first time. Mm. I, I mean it. That's nice. Um, but some people might think sure. that... Sure, not know, so good. And some people might like what my, what I do and yeah. my music, and some people don't like it. It's, it's very, very hard right. to... If people don't understand that being an artist is much harder than going to a regular job. Yeah, that's from something nine to that's five. quantifiable. Yeah. yeah one but, plus one equals two. You either get it right or yeah. you get it wrong. Music and is not that way. It's not that way. And I have all the respect for other kinds of jobs. It's just what I'm saying is we have to put ourselves out there every day. Mm -hmm. We are exposed every day with what we do. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely hard to be exposed because we expose our souls basically through writing through singing mm -hmm. and we are always under the criticism of others so why do you do it because i can't do anything else <laughs> <laughs> because there's nothing more exciting than hearing your music especially in a live concert coming to life sure. there is nothing more for me and also for me you know um, the social issue, especially in the past few years, is becoming very, very important. And I don't know if you know that I wrote a concerto for cello, orchestra, and narrator mm -hmm. based on the life of a Holocaust survivor who is 91 years old, still alive. Mm -hmm. He's um, unbelievable. His name is Kurt Lowens. And um, the narration was written by myself, Richard Steller, and Beth Warnick. And it tells the, the life story, and I'll tell you really fast, after Kristallnacht, which is basically mm -hmm. the night where the Nazis started, you know, um, ruining Jewish businesses mm -hmm. and murdering mm -hmm. Jewish people in Germany, he was told by, by his teacher to go home and never come back. And they ran from Germany, him with his parents, and they ended up in Holland. And his mom died there. He was 13, 14 years old boy. He lived under a false name in a, in a farm. And he saved more. He joined the Dutch resistance. Mm -hmm. He was 14 years old, joined the Dutch resistance and saved more than 100 Jewish children and took care of them through, during the war. And one day he saw the Germans were gunning down American planes and he saw two pilots parachuting and he ran to where they parachuted and he hid him in, in a haystack, basically, while the Nazis were searching trying to find mm -hmm. him, searching for them. And eventually they left and he took care of them for a while until they were able to go back to their bases. And all of this I heard at Temple of the Arts while the rabbi was telling this story. And was, everybody was crying. Mm -hmm. And then the rabbi said, Kara turned around and to the stage came the children and grandchildren of one of these pilots who already died. But these people wouldn't... Alive, yeah. They wouldn't exist if this young this 14 years... Yeah. This teenager risked his life over to save and their... Over and over and over. and over and over. And I said, I have to do something with this. And I called him and I asked, can I, can I write... Because I, I got a commission, the same time I got commissioned by the Glendale Philharmonic mm -hmm. and Ruslan Beryukov, the cellist. And, uh, and he said yes, he gave me his blessings and I wrote this concerto, it's four movements, um, Shattered, Escape, Resistance and Triumph. And I asked him, what is triumph for you? And he said, you know, Sharon, it's not like the big, you know, thing and triumph. It's... Yes, we triumphed, but was, what was this price? What was the price of this triumph? Mm -hmm. After the war, he went back to, you know, to see what, what was left. Back to Holland or back to, to, to Germany? To Germany and, mm -hmm. to, and he went to Poland and it, he was devastated, you mm. know. And then he came to Hollywood and became an actor and because he knew, oh, that's not the only thing, but he came to Hollywood and he became an actor and portrayed German Nazis because he knew German. So that's like amazing. Oh and gosh. at the end of the war, when he was still in Holland, the British came to Holland and uh, were looking for a translator. And he, he knew Dutch and English and German. So they took him, they put 
army uniform, British army uniform on him and gave him a little gun. And they said, you know, the place is surrounded by Nazi soldiers. Where we go in, if you need to use the gun, use the gun. And there were four, four of them that went to this castle that was occupied by the Nazis. And he needed to call the person who was in charge, really Hitler's right hand, I can't remember who it was. And the place is surrounded by Nazi soldiers with rifles. And he needed to stand there and say, the war is over and you lost. And he said that he was shaking. And the narration says, um, this uniform makes me feel alive, but underneath I'm the Jewish boy with teary eyes. And they took one of this, the Nazis with them. He said, I'm driving, I'm driving the car. And all of a sudden I hear a gunshot and the Nazi committed suicide. And he said, how surreal it is. I'm a Jewish boy, 19 years old, Jewish boy, 18, 19, in army, British army uniform, driving a car in Holland with the body of a dead Nazi in my trunk. Oh my I God. mean, I think that reality sometimes is more amazing than any story that you can tell. Mm -hmm. And people went through this. Mm -hmm. Has, have you premiered the piece? Oh, yeah. When? Yeah, we premiered a piece in Glendale. Mm -hmm. And then we took it to the Saban Theater and we had more than 1,300 people. And it's going to be uh, now in November, which is uh, Kristallnacht. It's mm -hmm. also Kurt's 92 birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing it uh, with two different orchestras in the Seattle, or uh, Seattle area. So mm -hmm. one of them is a big, 80-piece orchestra, which I'm so excited about. Mm -hmm. And the other one is a very, very good chamber orchestra. And we've been invited to the United Nations to do it next year, the United Nations for Holocaust Day. So it's very exciting. Hopefully we'll still be members. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's really exciting. You know, and it's, it's, uh, it's so important to take the lessons of the Holocaust and bring them to today. You know, um, because it's a people, lesson. It's a lesson that we can't forget. Yeah, and people don't know. You know, and people think that the Holocaust was a, a Jewish invention. Oh you know, God. and it's like, how can you deny something that is? It's so it takes so much hubris, and it's yeah. so insulting to even. And even kids think need, about it. and kids need to to go to Holocaust Museum. Yeah. And they need to see it. And there's a campaign right now that is called "Defund Don't De Defend Don't Defund." Uh, that was started by Richard Steller that uh, I think is important to join so we know that kids can continue mm -hmm. go um, to Holocaust museums and see what humanity is capable of mm -hmm. and prevent it in the next generation. I mean, look at what's going on mm -hmm. right now. I know. Anti-Semitism is, is just it's horrible. Anti-everything. Anti-everything. Anti-everything that's Anti -everything. not white man. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm like... Oh, for me, the best way to try and make a difference difference is through music. Mm -hmm. the, I did a, a concert about uh, a month ago, uh, and I know we have to finish up, but... No. Uh, oh, we don't. Okay. No. So about a month ago, there was a concert. Uh, it's called Save a Child's Heart. Mm -hmm. It's a group of, group of doctors that started in Israel, and they save children who have, you know, need to go through heart surgery mm -hmm. or any other life-saving uh, uh, treatment in Israel. And it doesn't matter if you're Christian, if you're Muslim, if you're coming from enemy country, mm -hmm. if you're from Iran, if you're from Iraq, it doesn't matter. They are all welcome mm -hmm. to Israel. Mm -hmm. And now it, it has become, it's called Save a Child's Heart, and it's, it has become a global um, organization, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is beautiful. And they did a gala, and I did um, some of the music there. And it was a, a, a Palestinian boy, 26 years old, who just finished Berkeley, who played Kanun. Mm -hmm. and sang so beautifully and we just hit it off and now we're talking about collaboration for me this is more important than anything else because it's about the people who Uniting can work people. together yeah. mm -hmm. you know you have to to if you if we want to fight anti this or anti this and the people who are anti need to be seen converted what yeah. can or what converted can be done. if you can yeah i mean that's... what can be done mm -hmm. you know i don't care where you are i don't care what your faith is mm -hmm. as long as you don't try to force it on me you mm -hmm. respect me for my beliefs i respect you for your beliefs and we make music we together. all have much more in common than we have not 
Yeah. Everybody. We all we all have a lot yeah. in common. Yeah. And there are dark forces in the world that are trying to you know make money off of separating people. That's really what it is. It's just about that's, money. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's it's um some um beliefs that one is better than the other. The faith of one is better than the other. So we can kill because our faith is better than the mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And it's it's just, it's not, you know, we're going to go into a third world war if we continue like this. And you know, know what Einstein said, that the third world or the fourth one will be um, fought with uh, knives and sticks, not, not even knives, like sticks and, and stones and, right. and rocks because right. we will have nothing. Someone will push the red button and someone else will push the red button and everything will be destroyed and we'll have to start from the beginning you know start all over again and we'll probably get to the same place because i guess this is human nature Uh, yeah i don't know i don't know if it is human nature i think i think that we have the capacity to choose more than any other animal and i think i think that it's i really think it's greed that's that's really the underlying i think it's more than greed i think it's greed definitely greed but also ideologies that are mm-hmm. that, you know are so destructive to mm-hmm. what we can do together mm-hmm. that is it's sad that's right you know but at least i think the artists the musicians we you know we can try at least to make this a better world through our arts you know it's, right. it's just you know if you look at art through history you'll see that and I'm talking about all kinds of art, from music to painting to sculpting to whatever. Mm-hmm. It is very much in parallel to what was going on historically. If you talk at, look at the Renaissance period, or sure. uh, it's it's very cubism, yeah, cubism. Mm-hmm. It's very very um, much in parallel mm-hmm. to what was going on because art always reflects real um, life. Real life. Yeah. Well, keep fighting the good fight, Sharon. We all do, my dear. It was really nice having you. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Sharon Farber. Thanks for coming by, Sharon. I really appreciate it. A lot of my guests come uh, to the west side here to my house uh, from the valley. And if you don't live in L.A., that's that's quite a feat. If you, you probably don't understand that 12 miles can take two and a half hours in the middle of the Sunday afternoon. So thank you, Sharon, for coming by. Um, I want to thank Greg Geiger for helping me with my theme song. I want to I thank uh, Michael Nielsen for loaning me his beautiful Shure microphone. And most of all, I want to thank you all for listening. This is my favorite day of the week. I love putting the show out there for you. I hope you all have a great Monday. Be safe out there. Enjoy the sunshine. There's no rain in the forecast. I don't know why this just became a radio, uh, a weather show. But anyway, looks like it's going to be a beautiful week. So enjoy it. Thanks again. And until next time. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get on to my show.